Good evening. How are you guys? Yeah, three of you doing great. All right. Good to see you. This is obviously very different. You've never seen all three of us up here at the same time. This is a momentous occasion. Three musketeers. Really? Well, we said that at the same time. I thought she said musketeers. Well, they did become in sync eventually, so. Um, All right. Hey, we have been in a series since Easter called Curious, uh, engaging some of life's toughest questions. And when we started the series, we put up this website, a bunch of you and a bunch of people you know asked questions. We had like over 100 questions that came in. And um, during this series, we've tried to engage some of them. We are going to continue engaging some of them next Sunday. Steve Clifford is going to be here, and he'll be teaching on suffering. If God is a good God, why is there suffering in the world? Why do we suffer? Uh, Ryan has the enviable task. Hmm. This is going to be so fun and easy uh, to talk about uh, how would Jesus respond to homosexuality. Is that right? Is that kind of what you'll hit on in a couple of weeks? Um, So that'll be, you know, a cinch. Pretty simple. So be here for that. Probably take about 10 minutes of prep. Be good to go. We'll be done. (laughs) It's going to be intense. So be praying for him. It's going to be a great night, though. Looking forward to that. And then Ryan will conclude the series by teaching on the sovereignty of God, free will. Uh, A lot of people ask questions about that, actually. So um, so we're going to hit on those in the coming weeks. The reason I share that is because We are not going to hit on those questions tonight because we'll be giving kind of an entire message to those questions in the coming weeks. So what we're going to do tonight is uh, I am going to moderate a little discussion and Q&A. It's not going to be an actual live Q&A in the sense that you're going to like ask questions verbally. However, it is a live Q&A in that, drum roll, this is exciting, yay technology, (laughs) You can, wow, you actually drum rolled. You can text in your questions live and we will get it right here. Um, Technology is amazing. So as we go through the night, uh, text in whatever questions you have. No guarantees that we're going to be able to get to all of them. Uh, Last service we had a few and we just couldn't get to all of them. Uh, There were also questions asked on the website in recent weeks that we want to hit on, a, a few of them actually. So That's what we're doing tonight. It's going to be super fun. First service was a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward um, to this service as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get into it, um, Ryan's going to pray for us. Obviously, um, it's been a weird week. There's been a lot. Um, And so I think uh, Ryan will pray, open us up, and yeah. Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this night. Thanks for the songs to be sung as we just present... uh, a moment in space where we say you are God and we are not. So often we walk through life acting as if you don't exist and we apologize and confess you are God. And this week we're reminded of the tragedy in Boston and people in pain and suffering and hurting community. And God, we just ask that you would show up powerfully that it wouldn't just be people talking about God, but people would experience the tangible hands of God through the people of God in that city. That you would surround those who've lost loved ones with your grace and with your love. That just the the immediate fears that just come because of a, a terrorist attack like that, 
God, would you, would you speak peace? And God, I pray for the young man who, who committed that act. And I do pray for justice. But God, we can't help as a believing community pray that he would come to know you. How broken is he? How broken his soul must be to think that is a, a right act. Would you intervene? Would you allow him to come to know you? We do pray for justice and pray that you would bring justice in every situation and if there's more people a part of it, you would bring that to light. So God, we pray for this, that community and we pray for this time. Would your wisdom and counsel guide us? Would your spirit uh, lead and speak? And um, would you just allow us to have fun as we wrestle and, uh, as a community? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get right into it. This is a question that was actually posted on our website pretty early on uh, a number of weeks ago. So let's start with this one. It's one I think you can both handle with tact and panaz. I don't know what that means, but... So, Ryan, we'll start, we'll start with you. What does the Bible say about drinking in moderation? Is it a sin? Water. And I think we're talking about, we're talk, that's my water. No, Don't, no. That's mine. Dude, that's totally You're such a germaphobe. No, I, I brought it up. You, no, that's my up. water. No, I brought it up. Wow. You guys don't know how big of a moment this is. This is it's not your water. That's why. This is totally my water. <laughs> Where'd my water go? I, I brought know, a water up. You have all my diseases now. Okay, this is really unprofessional. Everyone stop. Reset. All right, ask, ask your question. I already did. What does the Bible say about drinking in moderation, and is it a sin? We are talking about alcohol, alcoholic beverages. All right, this is a big question, and I think there's two uh, questions underneath this, uh, and, and let's just talk about those two questions. The first question comes from a, someone who would be kind of a Christian background, maybe grew up in the church, and the question is really stated this way. How far can I go without being in sin? And we ask this in every arena of life. How far physically can I go with someone uh, without actually sinning? How far can I do, you know, X? And drinking is that question, is really, uh, what are the boundaries so that I know I'm okay? Uh, And the other question under it is actually, I think, a, a much bigger and maybe even a better question. What is my responsibility to others? in light of that. And, and so the first question is, there's really only one passage in the Bible that speaks about uh, the moderation of drinking. That's Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and so, but what you need to know is the context of the passage is not talking about wine. It, the purpose isn't say, to be this definitive passage on, yeah, don't get drunk. Although that's true. It says, don't get drunk. That's the line. The context is don't allow anything to control you other than the Spirit of God. That's the point of the passage. But, but we get in that a clear line. Do not get drunk. And, and you're like, well, how, how do I know when I'm drunk? You know. Every, I, I, my guess is every single person who's drunk, uh, drank, which one? Or drunk now. Or drunk now. About 30% of you. The, rea- the reality is you know that line. When you're asking that question, you're asking that question from a boundaries perspective of how far can I go, right? Uh, and the reality is, is 
the question that I think is a better question is, is what is my responsibility to those around me? And that's actually in Romans 14. And if you've got your Bible, would you open up to there? Romans 14, verse 1. I'll get to it shortly. Because this talks about a concept we don't talk a lot, in the, and for whatever reason, about a weak and a strong brother or sister. About my responsibility to the weak brothers and, and our responsibility to one another. That we would choose the best or the wisest for those around us, even though we are okay or right, it's not sin if we are to choose otherwise. Does that make sense? Listen to what it says in 14, verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. What are disputable matters? Well, we're talking about one. We're talking about alcohol. They're disputable because there, there isn't like, there's some, there's some gray area there. The reality is, is some of you have a background with alcohol. You have no business drinking. You had parents who are alcoholic or you have an alcoholic past. There's something, maybe even your background, you're, you're taught is evil and bad. And okay, in your conscience, you feel like it is a sin. And so you should not partake. And if you do, you violate your conscience and you are sinning. There's others say, well, you know what, Jesus, John 4, turned water into wine. That was his first miracle. And yeah, I like to partake from the, the fruit, you know, we're going to, of the vine, you know. <laughs> uh, however you say that. <laughs> the, the, the divine fruit. Divine fruit. Divine fruit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The, Sorry, everyone. <laughs> now Listen. It goes on to say, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. That's the bigger issue, isn't it? Isn't it some of you have certain standards in your life that uh, you go, okay, this is the standard. It's not clearly defined here, but here's my standard, and because you don't do it, I judge you? Or on the flip side, you feel like, hey, I'm free. I can drink. And, and why are you being such a, a lame person for not? I was trying to see. Any, every word was not coming. That was a nice, <laughs> nice word. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I, I think that's the reality is in this. By, scripture's clear. Is it okay to drink? Sure. It says don't get drunk. That's the only thing we have on it. The question, the better question, is what is the wisest thing to do? The best question to be asking is what is the wisest thing to do? Who's around me? As if you're in this standing where your conscience allows you to drink, you go, I need to give preference, that's what actually First Corinthians would say, to the weaker brother. And say, you know what, I'm going to choose not to, even though I can, because I'm going to honor you. And so you ask, what is the wise thing to do? All right. Yeah, that's great. Tony, anything to add to that? Or? No, I think this is a great question, because I think everybody in here probably... Um, hangs out or talks or like spends time with people who drink or drink or whatever. So like if you know someone who drinks, raise your hand, right? If you drink, raise your hand. If you're drunk. No. 
so no, that's a great, that was good, that was good. Cool, next question. This is for, we'll start with you, Tony. Um, this is a great question. I think it's so pertinent to kind of the reality of our lives. How, how do you know if you're going through spiritual warfare or just experiencing a hard time? So how, how do you differentiate the difference? Is, is this spiritual warfare or is this just I'm going through a tough time in life? Yeah, um, that's, that's an interesting question because I think it's very easy sometimes to say, hey, everything that's happening to me right now is like spiritual warfare. Like my car doesn't start. The devil's against me. My coffee sucks this morning. Satan is out to get me. If I don't have good coffee, I'm going to have a bad day. So if the mission isn't moving forward, then it's Satan. Um, and Ephesians uh, 6 actually tells us, Ephesians 6.10 gives us some reality, at least to some of us who think that um, there isn't actually a spiritual aspect to the way we live our life. I'm going to find Ephesians in my Bible. You know how you find it, by the way, after First and Second Corinthians, GE Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's free, by the way. Okay. Dude, my youth pastor used to tell me, go eat popcorn. So that makes I, way more I sense I still to me. remember it. It's it weird. Popcorn. It's weird. It helps you. Those little things help. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and, and in the heavenly places. And therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist, the, uh, resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So uh, I think that one of the realities we have to understand is that we are dealing with a sense, a sort of spiritual aspect to our lives, that we are, in fact, as people living on mission against an enemy. But I think that sometimes we also are not very good at acknowledging that our sin and the sin of people around us actually affects us. Right. So that's not really the spiritual, right? It's just like me making a really stupid mistake or somebody else doing something dumb and then affecting me. And I, I, to be honest, I've not really come to a, a place where I can say, okay, this is the matrix that you ask questions like, am I awesome today? Yes. Is this really bad? Yes. Spiritual warfare. I can't give you like that, that matrix, but I just do know that a lot of times we attribute to spiritual warfare what is actually just human sinfulness or stupidity or whatever, so. Yeah, I, I think that's so good. One is recognizing there is a spiritual world mm -hmm. and that's reality. Because so oftentimes we go to either side, like you're saying, you, you, and Christians swing on either side, either the devil's in everything or nothing. And, and just that acknowledgement, okay, life is spiritual. Every act is a spiritual act. And so there is spiritual opposition. Um, I, have, I have just a few ways that the enemy and his tactics, what he wants to accomplish. And it's helpful for me. It may not be helpful for you, but this is uh, the way that Satan has uh, his tactics of how he wants to uh, attack you and I. And so when I recognize these patterns, I have to ask the question, is it opposition? Is it spiritual opposition or is it just uh, bad decision making? Is it, timing's always interesting on those because, you know, like most families have arguments on the way to church. You know, huh, interesting timing about that time. I mean, I just said something earlier to my wife that was just not nice. And I had to go and say sorry before I get up here on the five o'clock and 
I'm like, I don't even know where that came from. Why was I so critical? It wasn't even a thing to be critical about. But here's my, just, I'm always three things. Uh, the enemy, first, he, he wants to discourage you. And if you feel like, man, I just have this, especially discouragement that comes out of nowhere. You ever had that where you just, all of a sudden, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And, and he wants to discourage you. And so if you begin to see that, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, he'll use sometimes a human thing, but it'll, it'll actually be, work its way. I've once had someone say, not even something really all that mean, but it was a critical word that all of a sudden began to attach to my heart and it began to attack my identity and, and, I, and I just got really, really discouraged. And the first area I think the enemy wants to attack us is in the realm of he just simply wants to discourage you. The second is he wants to distract you. He, he simply wants to distract you from, from being who God made you to be and living out the calling he's made you to live, Right? That's what he wants to distract you from, from being who God made you to be and living out the calling he's made you. It, it's it, who you long to be and who he's made you to be. And, and how he's distracted us from the beginning starts all the way back in Genesis, and actually you see it in 1 John. Uh, it says, you know, the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It says three areas, main areas, I'm sure there's more, but three main areas is around power, pleasure, and possession. If you find your life getting focused more around who you are and who you're going to be and advancing up the chain, you're focused around power. You're focused around pleasure. You begin to see your life focused around uh, what can I feel, what can I experience. And we're, this is kind of a huge area for us uh, here is it's, life is all about the experience now. And, and then possessions of what do I have. And, and those are areas where you, they're not bad in and of themselves when they're submitted to God, but they're areas that you begin to distract and they keep you from being who God made you to be. And, and there's, those are specific areas where the enemy, I think you can just go, okay, those three areas. But discourage, distract, and the last one is disqualify. He, the enemy wants to disqualify you from ministry. The enemy wants to disqualify you uh, from being effective. See, do you get this, by the way? Yeah, close the notes. It, you have been called to the greatest mission on the planet. If you're a follower of Jesus, he said, I long to impact this world. I long to bring into right order and bring into relationship every single person on this planet. And the way I'm going to do it is you. So what does the enemy want to do? Do everything to disqualify you or make you feel like you're disqualified from being that person, right? You know, guys, that porn problem? What he wants to do, he wants to tempt you into it, say, hey, come on, come on, it's gonna be so good. No one's seeing, no one's watching, watching. And then you, you click on it, you go there, and you're like, oh my gosh, I did it again. I can't believe I did it again. And then he says, you're an idiot. No one's gonna love you anymore. You, you can't tell anyone and you get stuck in this cycle. And we all have those cycles, don't we? You know what James 5 says? It says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. And if you're, in, you're stuck in that cycle of disqualification where you have a secret sin, you have something. Guys, get, get to someone. You will not be the man God created you to be if you're hooked on porn, okay? Just break it. And, and it's not like just break it, confess, go to someone, break the secret, and, and the, secret, the power's in the secret. Women, it's gossip, slander, 
I, I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for us guys. Discourage, distract, disqualify. Those are tactics of the enemy. Yeah, that's so good. It, it, it struck me. You said that in the 5 p.m. service, and listening back to it, it sounds like um, maybe a part of that is really an attack on the identity. Oh, right? yeah. That it's uh, maybe the, the difference between hard, just hard times and spiritual warfare is that spiritual warfare, the enemy, is exactly what you're saying about being discouraged and being distracted from not being who you ought to be in every moment, and then obviously being disqualified from what... God's calling you to that maybe what the enemy really does is remove you, throws you off kilter from your identity, right? Our, yeah. our identity in Christ, who Christ has called us to be. If at any point you're shaken from that foundation, pretty good, pretty good clue that this is spiritual warfare, the enemy really coming to, to get at you. It sounds like oh. that's a big part of, of kind of what you're saying there. I think that's so huge. If you got your Bible, flip over to First Peter. I know everyone... Everyone gets to be a sermon. But First Peter 2, because I think that's, uh, you hit on something that's so core, and, and it is your identity. Because when you know who you are, you, you act differently. Listen to what Jesus says about you, what God says about you. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter where you've been. He says, if you stopped in and are following Jesus, he says this about you, but you are a chosen people. Just think about that. You're chosen right now. A royal priesthood. Priest role was to bridge the gap from God to man. He says, My, you are royal. You're, you're of king descent, kingdom descent. And your go- role is to bridge the gap between humanity and me a holy nation, a people belonging to God. He says, you're mine, no one else's. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. That's your identity in Christ. And I realize I didn't give you the, the chapters, Ephesians, uh, 1 Peter 2, uh, 9 through 10. Yeah, that's but that's great. huge. That's awesome. Next question. Uh, this is a big question. Um, if God uh, loves unconditionally, why is it requisite to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Savior in order to en- enter heaven? So, I mean, that's the question that was sent in to extrapolate that a little bit more. If, you know, if God loves unconditionally, why would he not simply, I mean, love, right? Just love and let him in. Why do we have to specifically claim Jesus, the Son, and all that comes along with that, the cross, death, resurrection. Why is that important? Um, we won't stay on this question too long, but maybe Tony, just go quickly, kind of your response to that. Yeah. I, I think something that's really easy to overlook is that one of the ways that God has expressed his unconditional love towards humanity at one, at one level is that he came in human form and lived a life on earth and suffered the, the penalty of death, which he was completely free from, and died so that we might have eternal life. I think it's, it's easy to say if God loves unconditionally, then he should let everyone in. Well, he has allowed everyone the opportunity to respond to justice or grace, and that's through his son Jesus. And, and I think that that's... Um, I think that that just shows a God full of character and depth 
one that's like not going to allow everyone to do whatever they want, but rather hold people accountable, but also allow everybody a chance to respond with repentance and say like, okay, I, I messed up. I, I suck. I'm not good at this thing. So uh, I need you, Jesus. So that, that's sort of my response to that question. It's kind of a interestingly phrased question, but yeah. Yeah, I'd say love is a two-way street. And love one way is not love, it is uh, dominion. It is, it is tyranny, right? If, you, if I say I love you and you're forced to love me back, are you loving me? No. Your, your response is automated, robotic. That's why at the garden you see God says, gives everything, everything to humanity. I, I mean, there is no limits but one. The one was the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It says everything else. Eat, drink, be merry, be fruitful, multiply. Every tree but this one. Why? Because if you don't have a choice to choose God, you're simply a robotic response. It is not a relationship, Period. And love is a two-way street. And the flip side of it, too, is we can never diminish God's love in light of his justice. We, those are operating in perfect balance with one another. So that's my yeah. short answer. That's great. Um, keep that in mind. We'll actually get to the idea of love, or more specifically grace and justice in a minute. But I want to ask this question. It just came in. I think it's an interesting one, and we don't have to necessarily come to a full conclusive answer, but I want to ask it because I think it's, uh, again, very pertinent to our day. What is Awakening Church's position on abortion? Uh, how serious is this issue? Is this an issue where we can have diversity? I love that, that last part of the question. Can we have diversity with this? Or is this kind of a abortion is one or the other, and this is how we stand on it? And um, Ryan, we'll let you kind of oh, answer that yeah. one. Because it said Awakening Church, I feel Ryan like if we that. answer, you might fire. <laughs> I'm not answering. I believe my position is his position. Ryan? I usually side with Jay on questions like this. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, this is big. This is a huge, huge issue. I remember um, in Chicago, my wife worked at a crisis pregnancy center and dealt with this issue day in and day out. And there, there's so many circumstances that it's hard to give like one clear answer. I mean, the reality is where we stand is, is we're, I don't want to say pro-life because that puts us with a whole lot of other things that I'm not sure I want to be put with, but we're, we believe that every life matters to God every single life, and believe that no life is accident. No matter how hard the circumstances for that life coming into this world. And so we'll do whatever it takes for that life to experience a relationship with God. Now there are so many painful stories. And I, and I think when, sometimes when people talk about this, they disconnect the reality that there's so much pain connected to this. But, but we would stand that we believe that every life, and so we're, we're not pro-abortion in any way. 
and realize there's some really hard things that come with that. And that, as far as, you know, when you're talking about the issue of right in these areas. What I do know is when we talk to the women in the crisis pregnancy, the, that there is something that happens when, when you decide to abort a child that marks you forever. And, and we don't talk about that much. There, there's something that erodes at the soul and a guilt that women live with for the rest of their life. And, you know, someone close to me that I realized I'm not free to share their story um, shared, shared personally with me, I mean, real close family member that they had gone through abortion, had no idea, something that they had kept hidden for years. And so I, I just simply affirm what we believe, that we believe every life matters and counts to God and do whatever it takes to love each life. Yeah. Tony, I think you had a thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great, I mean, I really appreciate that. Uh, I think that that's really undervalued or even not really communicated a lot, the idea of life and the value of life. I'll just share this very quickly story. Um, when Allison and I got married in 2005, uh, 2010, 2000, I'm trying to remember when my kids were born. So, yeah, I don't know, 2009. I can't, I can't ever get a straight Me neither. Um, but it was, I think Your it was kids, Christmas. That is. Yeah, my kids. <laughs> uh, to, Christmas on 2009, uh, my wife had told me like a few weeks back that we'd gotten pregnant and I was not excited about it because I had, my first few years of my marriage, I had wandered, my mind had wandered, my eyes had wandered, my thoughts had wandered, my heart had wandered. And I was like, I'm not ready for this kid because I just, I'm not, I was not a good husband. I just want like, I want a second chance to, pr to prove my wife that I loved her. And as we were t thinking about this child, it was a very abstract idea, like this child, whatever. I don't know, I haven't seen it, I haven't touched it. I'm not really connected to it. But on two days before Christmas, we flew to Phoenix to tell my, my mom that we were pregnant. And while we were there, it was like between the 8th and 10th week, Allison miscarried. So it was like a, not a planned abortion, but the body aborted the baby. And it wrecked me because I felt guilty that it had been my fault. Like at all this, like, I don't want this baby, whatever, whatever. And then the baby just aborted itself. And, you know, this idea that there's a lot of weight that we carry when stuff like that happens, right. even unintentionally, right? And so I really affirm that idea. And God has worked in me, and God has worked in my wife. So I always say, like, we have three children, not just two. Because I, I think that, again, like, we, we don't value the idea of life that way. And we should. I think that I constantly think about that. So just want to thank you and affirm that value yeah. of life. That's great. Uh, a couple of thoughts come up as, as you guys are talking. I had a friend who um, used to tell me, uh, you know, the conversation happening um, scientifically and in medicine about, well, if you abort at a certain point, then it's okay. It's not scientifically. We wouldn't consider it like a whatever, a child or whatever. And this friend of mine who was in the medical field and is also a follower of Jesus, uh, she said to me, um, if abortion is necessary, that means that you're ending life. It doesn't matter what point, at what point you're carrying out the abortion. If abortion is, if you're aborting something that essentially, I mean, by nature, it means you're ending something. And, and then she brought up all these general ideas, I mean, these beautiful ideas about the soul and about how science can't measure 
existence at its core, um, that, that it keeps going deeper and deeper. Uh, the other thing that I think of as you guys are talking, and I know this is both of your hearts, um, if you have, uh, if you were pregnant at one point and you went through an abortion, and you're not beyond reach, you're not beyond redemption, you haven't committed some sort of heinous sin that God is just like, well, that's the one sin, I can't, no, I mean, God's love I think in some ways, even more so, the scripture shows us that his heart breaks with ours and he feels that pain. And so some of the regret you're talking about, I mean, God feels that with you and can heal you um, and and wants to come alongside you and and, uh, resurrect some of the dead stuff in in our souls and in our hearts. So, um, but thank you guys so much for for all that. It's meaning to actually say just that to close. That's really good. Um, Here's here's, uh, another... Good one. I was going to say exactly that way. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay, here's a great one. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, and I have some lightning round questions that I want to get to, which is super fun. Um, so let's be brief with this one, gentlemen. If the Spirit of God is faithful to complete a good work in me, then what does it matter that I live the Christian life now? So if God's going to do the work in me, if God's the one who does the work in me, mm-hmm. why do I have to participate? Why can't I just kind of be who I want to be, do what I want to do, and then God will complete that work? We'll start with Tony and then yeah. let Ryan respond. Hang on. Let me do my... Th- wait, wait, wait. Or not. On, on. I'll, I'll be quick. I play you air hockey for it. Oh. <laughs> he he whooped me bad this week. Uh, low blow. Low blow. Let me do my... Uh, real quick. No, just go it's a category error on this question. And then, then I think what you have to say is really, really good. And the only reason, uh, after I say what I have to say, uh, no, it's a category error. There's three areas. These are theological words. Write them down. Uh, you need to understand these. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is your right standing before God. Literally, if you think about it this way, just as if I never sinned. That's what justified means. When you're justified, it's you're standing before God. It's your legal standing before God. That means the moment you receive Christ, you are currently, presently justified before God. And I can't go into all the theological things because I've got to go quick. Uh, but it is a huge, huge idea. And that means that you're standing before God as he looks at you and says, just as if I'd never sinned. Now, sanctification is the process of when you started to walk with Christ, of becoming to look more and more like Jesus, okay? That is the process of life, and that is a process. So your legal standing before God is secure. Sanctification is the process of becoming like him, and that's what Tony's going to talk about in just a second. Glorification is ultimately when you're in the presence of God and your legal standing and who you presently are are actually mere images. They're one. That it's not just as if I'd never sinned. It is you are made right and restored perfect with God. That's in glorification with him. Those three big concepts. I, take some time, look those up. But talk about sanctification now. No, that's basically what I was going to say, just like that. <laughs> um, no, it's true. I, I think the fallacy is, and I, Ryan... Uh, clarified it rightly, it's that the, the fallacy is, is that um, God working to complete the work doesn't involve us. But if you read Scripture, and when you read Scripture, throughout 
all the epistles, Paul and John and Peter, and, and they, they all say that we have to do active participation in that process, in the becoming more like Jesus process. It's not like a free pass. We actually have to engage in the redemptive process of actualizing this new creation that God has made within us. And so you see it in uh, Colossians, put on uh, this new character. You see it everywhere, put on the full armor. It's this whole idea that now that God has justified you, he has cleansed you, um, you're perfect before him, you're just as if you haven't sinned. He's also empowered you with the Holy Spirit so that you can actually move and act to become more like Jesus every day. And that's, a, that's something that we, I don't think, take, we take for granted a lot of times. But that whole idea of discipline or training um, is locked up in that, and that we get to train or discipline ourselves for godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8 says that. There's some benefit now for, like, you know, working out and stuff. But if you pursue godliness and discipline yourself and train yourself in that way, there's not just present benefit today, but there's also eternal benefit, which is to one day become just like Jesus, to look just like Jesus, to act and love and feel and all that just like Jesus. And that's glorification, what you're talking yeah. about. So that's a great category. Look him up. Yeah, let me, let me give you a quick passage because I, I love the Bible, and you should too. Um, there. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, says, uh, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He says, you already have all that you need to live out this life and walk with me. But how? Through our knowledge of Him. Then it goes on to say, and I'll skip down to verse 3. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness and godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Justification is something God does. And actually, you can look at it. Ephesians, was it 2, uh, 8 through 10, unpacks those two concepts. Justification is something God does, his activity. Dallas Lord says, grace is not opposed, uh, is, is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Right? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works. Paul would say, I am struggling as I labor with all his strength within me. See, sanctification is you and God partnering together. Yeah, that's great. Uh, one last big question. This is a big one. And then um, a lightning round where I will time you both. And so it'll be quick. Uh, so here's the big question before we get to the lightning round. Um, and it's two questions in one. We, we discussed this in the last service as well. So pertinent for, for kind of the, the time we're living in. How do grace and justice, grace and justice, how do they intersect? Um, we're supposed to show grace to everyone around us like God did for us, but where does justice play a role in our lives? Uh, question connected to that kind of fleshes the question out. How are we supposed to show grace um, to people like the bombers in Boston? Yeah. So how do grace and justice intersect or where or however you want to discuss that? And how are we supposed to do that? Grace and justice. You want to Rochambeau? I got this one. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome to Rochambeau. Um, 
What's the, link? What's the uh, Sorry. What's right. the question? No, no, no. Okay, so how do grace and justice intersect? That's a great question. Um, I was thinking about that actually earlier, and um, I could read you the passages in Scripture, but you can go there and look them yourself. But in the Garden of Eden, one of the, one of the greatest things that you see is that, that, that whole idea of justice and grace being played out. It's really, really actually very cool if you ever stop and look at it through that lens, justice and grace. Because in the garden, you see God giving these laws to Adam and Eve, like, hey, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, whatever, right? And when Adam and Eve partake of the divine fruit, not drunk, just eating the fruit off the tree, they get kicked out of the garden, right? But before that happens, God asks them, what have you done? Or where are you? Right? He, he offers them an opportunity to confess, to show grace. He says, what, why are you hiding? It wasn't a justice question. It was a grace-filled question. Um, it was, why are you doing this? And, and they still had to be held accountable. and get, They got pushed out of the Garden of Eden. But even as they got pushed out of the Garden of Eden, God said, okay, I'm going to make clothes for you and, and clothe you. Um, you're not going to get a chance to hang out with me in the Garden now and live this wonderful life that I've created for you. You actually have to leave. And that's justice. You have to go. And in the midst of all of that, I'm still going to take care of you. I'm still going to be there for you. I'm still going to take care of you. So that's a good question because I think a lot of times it's easier for us to relate to like, well, I know how to be gracious to people and, and loving to people. But I, I think we also have to learn how to hold people accountable so that we have a standard to show them grace against, right? I think Ryan said this earlier and it was really, really good is that without justice or, or a sense of justice, there is no grace, Right? That, and I think that's true. Right? I believe that wholeheartedly. There's no justice. There can be no grace. Because justice is what you measure against to, to receive grace even. Like, I, this is what I ought to be getting, but I don't get that. I get something less than that or even something better than that. And so the answer is they, they intersect. How do they intersect? One cannot exist without the other. Right? They, they play out all the time, and I think we just have to keep our eyes open for that. And what, how does justice play a role in our life? We, I think we are supposed to be the voice for the voiceless in the sense of there are some things that we believe the humanity of people, the dignity of ev the value of every single human being where we become the voice of those who are being unjustly persecuted against, whether it's children in slavery or sex trafficking or any of that stuff. We are, as a church, to be the voice for those people um, and hold people accountable to a standard that identifies them and, and recognizes them as human people made in the image of God. Yeah, that's great. Ryan? Yeah, well, let me take a little different stab at it. I mean, one, I, I think that's a great answer. Um, but I, I, here's what I'd say, and maybe using different words, maybe more words we're used to. I think Christians have confused niceness with kindness. And we nice people, and we're not actually kind to them. See, we, we can never tell the truth to them because we want to be nice, and yet it actually does greater harm to them, right? And, and the reality goes back to this question. See, grace and truth is like a tension. If you ever lose the tension of either one of them, you don't have either of them. They're two sides of the same coin, and so you look at some of the examples Tony gave. What is the most gracious act for a child stuck in human trafficking? What is the most just act? The answer is the same. 
right? And it doesn't always play out quite that clearly, does it? But there's areas for us as believers, we can be real clear, where the most gracious and the most just act are one and the same. In fact, that's what we see in Jesus, right? The most gracious act that God could ever do was to send his son to die in our place. And yet at the same time, it was the most just act because he received the just penalty due us all. See, they're, they're always, they always operate in tandem. Now, the question is how do we respond as believers? Really more to evil in our world, right? I mean, how do we respond to, to bad people in Boston? How do we respond Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of getting back to it. And, and I'd take you to a, a passage, it's Romans 12, because I think it's important to know who holds justice. And, and if you go to Romans 12, right at the end, uh, verse 14, it says this. And this is how we are to respond as followers of Christ. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now listen to this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is not talking about the justice of the system of nations. This is talking about you as a person, how you're supposed to respond. If at all, uh, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that's actually the imagery of repentance. And there's a couple things at play. When, when you understand that God is a just judge and he will bring order and restoration to all things, then it frees you and I up to respond in the most gracious way possible. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Who are your enemies right now that you just want to take out? He says, pray for them. See, I, I, we did this in the last service, and it was so hard. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be, but we actually forgot to really pray f- for Boston. We did it at the end. And, but when I think about that young man and his brother, just think about how broken he must be how hurting he must be, what depths of depravity must have gone through him that that was a rational explanation for how to live out life. And God cares for that young man. As just as he cares for you and me. Now part of bringing justice is what God's gonna do and Yet at the same time, he says, would you pray for him? And I've got to be honest, that's hard. I don't want to pray for him. 
When I see a nine-year-old boy killed as a result and I think I have, have an eight-and-a-half-year-old little girl, what if she had been there? And God says, justice is mine, revenge is mine. Let me hold the cards on that so that you can respond freely. Yeah, that's great. Um, that last question, that last big question is obviously really, really big. And um, again, I just want to make note of this. Our emails are up here. Uh, if you have, because there's a lot of questions that are coming in, we're not going to be able to get to all of them. So email us. I would also actually encourage you, maybe the first thing you could do is engage in dialogue about some of these questions you have with uh, some of the leaders in your house church. Um, it's always helpful to, to engage with some people that you know, that you're journeying with. So carry these questions with you to house church. I think we've got house churches this week. So um, don't, don't just say, oh, well, the, the guys didn't get to it. So I guess that's that. But really engage in some of this stuff. Uh, I want to ask a couple of questions, lightning round. I'm going to time you guys. You got like 30 seconds each. To, and I will stop you at the end of 30 seconds. Um, first one is this. It's actually not engaging a life's tough question. It's more of a personal question. Okay, here we go. Lightning round. I will stop you if you go over. What's one spiritual discipline that's most shaped your life? One spiritual discipline that has most shaped your life. Start with Tony. Or Ryan. We'll start with Ryan because you're not ready. I, okay, first of all, Dallas Willard says this. Spiritual disciplines is an activity that I can do to receive the power to do what I cannot do on my own. Say it again, and you should write it down. Dallas Ward's a very smart man. Uh, spiritual discipline is an activity that I can do, that I can actively engage in, that's what we're talking about, sanctification, really, to receive the power to do what I cannot do on my own. That's really the, what Romans 12, 2 says. The, the single most uh, spiritual discipline I, I've ever done uh, shape me is literally just memorize the word of God. That's it. I just took seriously when he says, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word, O Lord? Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I said, okay, I'm going to trust you on that. And so I just, I said, how can I get God's word into my heart? And I promise you, if you do that, However it looks like, if you can get God's word in your heart, you will be forever changed by him. Awesome. That's a great answer. Way too long for the lightning round. <laughs> Tony, you ready? <laughs> One spiritual discipline that's most shaped your life. Prayer. Just prayer, 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 prayer. It positions me and teaches me how to get into posture before God. Um, because I think I'm really smart sometimes and I'm really not. Uh, I think I know all the answers and I don't. I think I have the right way to think about things and I rarely do. So prayer just puts me in a place that reminds me like I actually am subservient to God who sits on his throne, who's the king. I'm not the king. So prayer. That's super, super helpful in my life. That's great. Last lightning round question. Keep it short, gentlemen. I have a hard time forgiving myself. Here's the operative word. What's one practical thing? One practical thing I can do to begin taking steps toward forgiving myself. One practical thing um, that I can do to begin the process of forgiving myself. Give you a little time. That's such kind a big a, question. It's a big it's question. A, it's not a lightning round. So let's take, so many let's people, take the big thing and, and give it, it one practical hook hold. One thing you can do, like this week. Okay, this week. 
dwell on the reality that you are not holier than God. When, when you cannot forgive yourself, what you're doing is actually putting yourself in a place that says, I'm actually holier than God. God, you might be able to forgive me, but I cannot forgive myself because I'm holier than you. So just this week, spend 15 minutes every single day realizing that you are not holier than God. Wow. I was actually holier than you. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Okay, I have a four-point outline. You, oh. you, have, you have 23 seconds. First one, understand <laughs> forgiveness is a process. If you think about just forgiveness, forgive, forgiven, uh, for, forgiving, forgiven. Okay, one, your rightful standing for God is that you're forgiven, but you are in process of forgiving yourself. The one practical application, you know that, you know, we can't get into when you know you're forgiven, uh, is this, preach to yourself. And I know I'm a preacher, so that doesn't sound, but seriously, what is true about you in here that you don't believe is true about you and wake up every morning and preach to yourself. I am a son and daughter of the king. I am forgiven. I am precious in his sight. He has forgiven me and wiped my sin as far as the east is from the west. Hey, start, wake up every day if you're in that spot. And I just say, start, go through here and go, okay, what's true about who God says of me? And you start preaching to yourself. Is there, that's, that's super awesome. Is there, if you would suggest maybe people out here are saying, where do I start? Bible's a really big book. Is there maybe a book of the Bible that you'd say, maybe this week, every day, read this book of the Bible or this section, is there, or either of you? First John. First John? Is a good one? No. <laughs> First John is super short, super short, but it talks a lot about sinning and forgiveness and the reality that Jesus will forgive you if you're faithful to confess your sins. It's really beautiful in terms of the sin, that whole sin and forgiveness aspect. Yeah. No, First it's John. great, and First it's John. huge on love. I'll tell you the passage. I, my, my background is I was hooked on porn a long time and uh, had a hard time uh, living with a lot of guilt and being able to forgive myself, and... And I went to Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. It goes all through there, throughout that and talks about, I just sit in to Romans 8, and it, you know how it closes it? And this is so great. It talks about your position, and then it closes it with your position in Christ. And it talks about, yeah, about who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger or the sword? No, in all these things you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor any other thing in all created worlds shall ever separate me from the love of Christ. And I'd say, hang in Romans chapter 8, just one chapter right there, and just preach that message over and over. Nothing can separate me from your love. I am no longer condemned. Yeah, that's awesome. First John, Romans 8, great places. Um, again, if you did not have your question answered, it is not the end, right? This is a dialogue, continuing dialogue. So continue to have this dialogue with one another, with your leaders in your house churches. If you absolutely feel like, yeah, I got to ask Ryan or Tony or Jay, then, then you can email us or talk to us after the service. But Ryan's going to close us with a few thoughts. We'll be done. I just feel like it, we went a little long. Do you think I should still close with it? Do you, can you do a condensed I can version? do a condensed. <laughs> I don't believe you, actually, so I'm interested to see how this works out. Here's what I'd say. We said this from the beginning of the series. Church isn't just a place to, ask, uh, to find answers, but it's a place to ask questions. 
And, and the reason is, and the reason we had this night was, was yeah, it is hot in here, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's just, sorry, I was distracted. I'm like really hot too. Um, but, but the reason, the reason is great questions are powerful. Great questions are actually way more powerful than right answers. Right answers often leave us like we finished. Not that having right answers isn't good, it is. Great questions take us on a journey, invite us to the process of discovery. Learn to ask great questions. Make it a habit of asking great questions in life because that will lead and direct you. It will set the journey that you're on. In fact, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 has this great question in there. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not your calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then what it says, then you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know what God didn't say? Here are the plans I have for you. Right? He didn't, he didn't go, you know what, you're going to get married at 26, or you know what, no, you didn't finish school, so you're going to get finished school at 29, or whatever it is. He didn't give you this roadmap. He says, guess what, I have plans for you. And you know one of the greatest questions you can ask in life is, God, what are your plans for me? That's it. Every stage of life. God, what are your plans for me? What, what is it? God, I long to know your plans. You said your plans are good. I don't want to miss out on your plans in my life in this stage of life. Whether I'm married and just got married, whether I just had kids, whether I'm just starting out in school. And you just start asking that question. And the promise of God is this. It will be one where you begin to seek him. And he says, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, the reason God invites us to ask questions is it invites us on a journey with him. If he gave you his game plan for your life, you know what you would do? Because I know you and I know me. We go, thank you very much. I'll take the map. I can go from here. Right? And he says, I know the plans. And I long to be on journey with you. My plans for you are good. I said, well, what are those Seek me, and I'll show you. Ask great questions. God has a plan for your life. You do not want to miss it. Just make that your prayer. God, God, I know you have a plan for my life. I don't want to miss it. Will you show me? God, I know you have a plan for my life. I don't want to miss it. Will you show me? What are your plans for my life? I don't want to miss it. Jesus, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the time to ask questions, to wrestle, to be in community. Thanks for awakening what you're doing here and the joy of getting to see you awaken a whole generation to your name and to a new life. Would you lead us? May we be a curious people who are driven to your very heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys again so much for being a part of this. Super fun. Hopefully it was helpful for you. Uh, before you go, if this is your first time here, love to stay connected with you. So if you could fill out that little blue card in your little inserts, that would be awesome. You just drop it off in the offering box. You can 
list your prayer requests there as well. We'll pray alongside you this week. Uh, if Awakening is your home, if you are family here with us, if this is your tribe, then uh, we have My our offering tribe. boxes on the sides um, and in the back, and you can give online. If you're just visiting us or just kind of checking things out, please, please don't give to us. Um, get to know us, and, and we just love that you're here. All right, that's just for our family. Last thing, next Sunday is a beautiful day. We're going to be serving this campus, Del Mar High School. Here is the deal. We have said over and over and over again for seven months, Ryan has put this mantra in our hearts and our heads, and it's so true on the inside that Del Mar is not just a place to meet, it is a people to love. Now, we don't push this hard that often, but here's the thing. Don't let that mantra just linger around on the inside, okay? Let's put our hands and feet, our energy, and our effort behind that idea. This is a great chance to do it. Next Sunday, from 8 in the morning all the way till the afternoon, two separate shifts, we're going to be serving this campus, renovating basketball courts, cleaning the entire campus, power washing, scrubbing walls, doing landscaping on the front. We're, make, we're putting in new benches for the students. This is a school that has a lot of needs, but, but God's also doing some amazing things here. The principal is starting to come on board. The PTA is coming on board with us. We might have some student leaders who are here, some of the seniors and juniors who are going to kind of come alongside and help us clean up their own campus. It's going to be an amazing time. So you don't want to miss out on that. You don't want to miss out on what God is doing on this campus and our opportunity to join in that kingdom work. So beautiful day is next Sunday, April 28th. The sign-up information is in your bulletin. So whether this is your first Sunday or you've been here all seven months with us, you are invited to this thing. And we need all of you, okay? We need all of you. There's about 80-something people signed up. We want well over 100. So first thing you need to do, if you're free next Sunday, if you're not free, make it free, right? No guilt trip, but just make it free. Go sign up online and join us next Sunday. Because here's, here's the thing. If you're not there with us next Sunday, the stuff is going to get done, but you'll miss an amazing kingdom moment. We don't want that for you, all right? So join us next Sunday. We need a lot of equipment and different things. You'll get that information once you sign up. All right, so beautiful day next Sunday. Good? Go in grace and peace. Have a great week. See you guys next Sunday for a beautiful day.